my sound guy. Hello? Tony, turn it down. of our series um, this term. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians and asking ourselves what it tells us about our identity as followers of Jesus. But the problem or the challenge, the delightful challenge is um, that every verse tells us something. And this first chapter that we barely got through in particular is so rich with the truth of all that God has done for us. It tells us much about God's purpose for our lives not just as individuals, but as part of something bigger than ourselves. Sorry, there's things bugging me. Is that okay? Um, it tells us about a story. Hello? Is that better? Yeah. Okay, I can't do so many hand gestures now. That's the only thing. So this chapter tells us so much about God's purpose for our lives, not just as individuals, but as something far, far bigger than ourselves. Something that reaches back before time, it talks about before creation, and that reaches forwards into the future. So if you've got, some Bible, if you've got a Bible, if you've got your phone, your iPad, whatever, open it up to Ephesians 1 so you can check that what I'm saying is true. Uh, Ephesians 1, <laughs> verses 11 to 14, and it should be up on the screen. Thank you, screen guy. It says, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the challenge with looking at this text, and perhaps any New Testament text, is that what we're looking at is a sequel. So just as you might start born legacy and you don't have a clue of what's gone before, it helps if you know who Jason Bourne was and perhaps even who is Pamela Landy. <laughs> there are two things in particular that I want us to look at before we get into this verse um, that I think will help us, will give us a bit of context, a bit of background into the characters that we're talking about and the plot line. The first of those is the most obvious one about those who were reading this for the first time. This was a letter that Paul was writing from prison to a church in Ephesus or a group of churches in that area and they were mostly Gentiles. They were mostly like you and I, they weren't raised in the Jewish faith. They were outsiders. They weren't brought up on Bible stories and they didn't know their kingdom theology. So think about your history for a minute and how that informs your identity. How would you describe yourself today, your nationality, your church background or lack of it, your um, family background or lack of it? How would you describe yourself? In generations past, many, many of us would have grown up in one place, in one location for most of our lives, in one very average looking family. Our adult life would largely have been defined for us by our gender. We were destined either for the workplace of our father or the home life of our mother. For better or worse, these things provided identity. They gave us roots. They gave us a sense of definition and belonging. But today, it's all up for grabs. You might be here from another country. It'd be interesting 
Raise your hands now if you were born in another country. That's maybe nearly half of us. Um, you might be trying to make this strange land your home, and that might be you know, easier for some, not so easy for others. This may be the third or fourth country that you've lived in in your life. You may have transitioned, not you may, you will have transitioned from childhood to becoming a teenager, and then a student, and then an adult. And you're asking yourselves, perhaps, who am I? Who am I now? I'm in my early 20s. I'm in my early 30s. I'm not, I'm not sure. So much has gone on before. I'm in a big city now. I've got a new job. Or maybe I've had a baby or I want to start a family. Who am I? What do I look like? What, what tells me about me? Today, our social status can be so fluid. And even our sexuality and we're told our gender, too. Everything is without certainty and subject to change. And I believe that all of us, in fact, are in need of a new identity. We're in need of definition. Something that's certain, because nothing else is. Something that's unchanging and something that's deeply rooted. Something that cannot be unearthed when life gets shaky, with loss or disappointment or change. For the Ephesians, for those Paul was writing to, their national identity was fixed. They probably hadn't travelled far. And their social status, the, the um, rankings from sort of slaves um, all the way up, soldiers and those who were governing the city, would be very unchanged. You didn't move through the ranks very easily. But spiritually and eternally, Paul describes it in another way. Because they were outside the family of God. And that was the identity he wanted to speak to them about. In chapter 2, he writes rather brutally to them. Remember, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship. You were foreigners, without hope and without God in the world, like many of us. So the first thing that you need to know, like Jason Bourne, like many of us, the recipients of this letter were uncertain about their identity, but they didn't know what they didn't know. So the second thing that Paul writes about that gives us some context and background to this verse that's significant for us is this word inheritance that he uses. Uh, when it says on the next slide, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's a phrase that he uses a lot of. It's one that Jesus uses as well sometimes. And if you look through the Old Testament, it's everywhere about this inheritance, about this promise that God has. And so we think of an inheritance largely in material terms. We think about it in financial terms. But in biblical times, it usually referred to a land, to a place. And the land represented somewhere of safety, somewhere that gave security. Um, land would provide provision for a family or for a tribe. It would provide independence and um, community and something permanent, something that couldn't just be spent or passed on to somebody else, but something that was enduring and not something that could be easily lost. And when Paul talks about inheritance, these Ephesians are not aware, but the backstory is that there's a people of God for whom inheritance was a very precious thing. And some uh, people for whom inheritance was, was loaded. It was a loaded term, something that was very familiar for them. For us, when we come to Jesus, you might imagine it's a bit like we are, we're homeless and alone. We're in need of salvation. And sometimes I think we imagine that our salvation is a bit like being given a bedsit and a blank check. If you're homeless and alone and you haven't got any family, a bedsit and a blank check seems like a pretty big deal. That's pretty awesome. And so we take our salvation and we think this is great and we go off to our bedsit and we spend our blank check. But what we don't realise is that when we come to Christ, it's much more like finding out you've been adopted by the royal family. Mm. There is history here. 
there is a line that goes back and there's a purpose to this family. And there are also riches beyond pressure. And that's part of what Paul is trying to do here in communicating with the Gentiles. You haven't just come to Christ. You haven't just rocked up. This isn't all about you. But you've been invited to join in, to participate in something that's happening. That's you're no longer outsiders, but now you're insiders. In the prequel to the New Testament, what we like to call the Old Testament, <laughs> uh, we find this ancient story, a story that tells us about God who chose a people for himself. These were a people who God had miraculously delivered from slavery. He leads them out of one country and into another that he's promised them. These people are to have no God but him, and he is their king. He will be present in their midst, and they are to be the people of his kingdom. They're to dwell in a promised land, and they're to live in peace and plenty. The word that's used in the Old Testament that we, you may have heard is shalom, and shalom speaks to us of peace, but it's so much more than an absence of war. It's about more than that. It's about fullness of life, more than the bedsit and the blank check. It's about becoming part of a rich and purposeful family. And for these outsiders, these Gentiles like you and I, it took the death and the resurrection of God's Son to make it possible for us to become insiders, to be adopted into this family, and for Paul to write that the inheritance promised to the people of God way back when was for them, is for us too. In another letter in the Colossians, uh, Paul writes, I give thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness from one country and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves to another country in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this changes everything. What God is offering us requires something. We, don't, we, we can't enter this country of our own volition. We can't receive this inheritance of our own choosing. So he also empowers us to receive this. He empowers us to engage with this. We want this new identity. We want this inheritance. It's ours for the taking. But it requires an empowerment from within us to be able to receive that. And God takes care of that too. Uh, in the Gospel of John, this new identity is referred to as being born again. A, a phrase we're probably all pretty familiar with. Paul describes it elsewhere with becoming a new creation. This is no small thing. This is not the bedsit and the black check. This is becoming part of a new family. This is about being born again. This is about being recreated. Later in Ephesians, Paul talks again of citizenship. He says, whereas he'd been rather rude to the Ephesians before, telling them they weren't citizens and they were separate and they had no hope. Now he reminds them that because of Christ, because of what God has done, because they've responded to this invitation of God, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. He says to them, you're no longer Jews and Gentiles. You were two people, separate people. One of the, one of the most important things for the people of God was to keep themselves separate from the Gentiles, from you and I. We were outside of this. It was nothing to do with us. We had no entitlement to the promises of God whatsoever. But because of what he did, that invitation is extended to us. And we don't become Jews. We become part of a new people together. We become fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. When we look back at the story of the people of God, it was all about God dwelling in the midst of his people. When he led them out of Egypt, he, he was in their midst as a, a pillar of cloud or as a pillar of fire. And then when they were wandering around in the desert, he was in their midst in a temple, um, in a tabernacle, in a tent in the middle. And uh, he would say, that's how you know I'm with you. I'm in this tent. That's where I am. And when they came to Jerusalem and they established a city, he was present with them in the temple. That's where God was. That's where you met with him. The shocking thing, the exciting thing for you and I is that there is no longer a temple. Yes, we come to this building and we meet together, but you and I are the temple of God. Mm. That's part of who we are. So if we turn back to the original passage and look at it now in a different translation, it gives us a bit of background, a bit of um, context as we look about how this has worked, up, worked out in us. It's uh, Ephesians 1, verse 11 to 14 in the NLT. Is that right? Brilliant. God's purpose was that we Jews... There we go. That's all my fault. Um, God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So what I really want to talk about today is the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about us being sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing this inheritance. The Holy Spirit is often pictured as a dove, I don't know what image you conjure up if you start to think about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we sort of can picture uh, almost uh, condensation, not condensation, you know, evaporation, or some sort of wisp. Um, you might think of the Holy Spirit as breath. Uh, we see in the uh, New Testament the Holy Spirit as fire, a bit, bit more of a powerful image. But we know from much of church history the Holy Spirit has been described as the Holy Ghost, which I don't know about you, but I've always found a bit off-putting. <laughs> That's good, that wasn't even meant to However, to us, to you and I, um, we know the Holy Spirit to be the indwelling person of God. I mean, that's extraordinary. Yeah. Lots of the um, pictures that the New Testament gives us of the Holy Spirit feel like they're about inanimate objects. So the seal, the deposit, a dove, fire. But it's so vital that we remember that the Holy Spirit is the person of God, the third person of God. Um, the Bible always refers to him as, as him, he, who, not as it, not ever as it, not ever as an object, but always as a person, the personality of God, the power of God, the presence of God. No longer just filling that place, no longer just filling that building, but filling us, filling you and I, so that when we go out of here, we don't leave the Holy Spirit behind, but we take the Holy Spirit with us. He identifies us and empowers us for the new way of life that we're called to live. So Paul here describes the Holy Spirit as a mark on us, as a seal. And I wanted you to think about um, an old movie, maybe something like, um, uh, oh, I don't know, something Tudor. Um, Elizabeth I, that's a pretty obvious one, isn't it? 
But you know in those old movies, you often have, there's a monarch on a throne, somebody important, and inevitably someone comes dashing up on a horse, there's a clatter of boots outside, <laughs> they come rushing in, they, you know, it's a man, he's in tights and one of those funny outfits, <laughs> and he's clutching a document, and he comes rushing up to the Queen, whoever it is, kneels before her throne and hands it over. And the most important thing about the document is its seal. The seal of the document. And in, in those days, we had no amazing, uncorruptible anti-fraud devices like we apparently have on the new £5 note. <laughs> this seal acted as an anti-fraud device. This seal spoke of identity, and it spoke of the authenticity of the sender. So Paul is, is reminding us of this here. When people use seals in, in ancient times, Bible times, way through to Tudor times, it was, a, it was a indication of the identity. There weren't lots of seals. It wasn't like a stamp. It would be identified to the owner, and it might be on a ring. You know, you'd melt the, you see that bit as well. It's all dark, and there's candles everywhere, and you get the little wax thing, put it on there, melt it, and someone sticks their ring in it. And on the ring is a, an emblem to do with their family or to do with their office, and it marks the document. And that's what Paul is saying. You have been marked with the Holy Spirit. Each one of you, marked with him, sent from God, marked with him. It's his identity and he's putting it on you. And the seal of it also means, when we, when we think about a seal, we think about it as being um, unbreakable. You don't, people didn't seal things then and then go, to, oh, I forgot to put that bit in. Can you open the seal? <laughs> you didn't do that. I mean, I don't know if any of you remember Tipex. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that kind of thing. It was a, you, you did it when you were finished. And, and, you know, you heard Steve speak last night about what Jesus did for us, it being finished. He hung on the cross, and it was finished. The work was done. And so, again, he's put the seal on because the work has been finished. It also speaks to us of authority. Um, we're, we're bearing the seal, and we carry the identity of the sender, the identity of the one it, it belongs to. We belong to him, we carry his um, authority, and we carry this completeness about us. One of the things that um, uh, Peter writes about, 2 Peter verse 1 and 3, God says, uh, Peter says, God has given us his divine power for everything we need for a godly life. And there's this tension within us where God has done everything. Yes, it is finished. And then there's this working out of our salvation. We can take him at his word because he's finished everything and it's a work that's complete in us. But then we work it out. We walk it out day by day. So when Paul talks here and in 2 Corinthians of the presence of his Holy Spirit, he also talks about the Holy Spirit being a deposit and being a guarantee. Being a deposit like a down payment. So again, we've got to hold two things in tension here. Because what we're saying is that God has come. He has done all that we need. He has brought his kingdom. His kingdom has broken in. And at the same time, it is yet to come. It is an inheritance that we are yet to receive. And his Holy Spirit in us is a down payment. So often we have a 10% deposit for something. Quick plug, we've got the church weekend coming up. And your time possibly for putting your deposit down has gone. It's now time for you to make a payment. <laughs> you owe me. Um, and so think of it like that. God has put a down payment in your lives. The Holy Spirit in you, sealed up tight as a deposit, telling you there's more to come. There is more to come. And the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. This is a promise. This is a promise. And God doesn't break his promises. So 
lots going on. You think about that the Holy Spirit is not just a mark of something that's been going on, um, but this is our new identity. He doesn't just give us this shared history with an ancient people. We're not just relics of the past. We're not just buying into an ancient religion, and isn't that great? We're not also just looking to the future and thinking this is an inheritance that is yet to come. I think one of the hardest things for us to grasp, um, and it almost is too obvious, but, it, but it, it, it's, it needs to be said, is that the presence of God changes everything now. One of the brilliant songs that we sing is um, when you walk into the room, everything changes. And I've been in rooms where I've sung that and I've prayed that and it's felt like nothing has changed. But it, there is a truth in it. There is a power in it that when God is there, everything changes. And now God has shown up in your lives and in my life, it's time for everything to change. This is not the bedsit and the blank check. This is an invitation to be part of a new family. You have a new history. You have new roots. You have a new divine sense of belonging. Yeah. And by opening up your life to God, you have an entitlement. He's given you the right to receive everything that he has for his people. Yeah. So whilst we live in a broken world and God's kingdom has not fully come, yet we see God at work in us. And we see him doing in us the very things we thought weren't possible this side of heaven. Because we live in this new age. We live in what you might call the third in the trilogy. So say the Old Testament was the prequel, and the New Testament is the sequel, we live in the third part of the trilogy, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And this is the age of the Holy Spirit. This is the age where nothing like this has been seen before. When God used to come with his Spirit, he would dwell in the midst of the tent or the tabernacle. He would pour out his Spirit on one person for one project or for one particular purpose. And now, since the days of Pentecost, as Steve said, in the church calendar, we're coming out to celebrating and uh, remembering Pentecost. We are in a new yeah. era. We're in a new stage, a new chapter. And we get to be a part of that. I don't know about you, but I often feel just um, completely helpless when it comes to how I, you know, here's my relationship with the Lord. Yeah, okay, I think I've got that. I've got to grips with that. And here's somebody in desperate need. And how do I take what I know and what I believe and how do I share that with this person in desperate need. And, and, and that is where the Holy Spirit, that's where we get to join in with what God is doing. And that's where we, we receive from God what he has and we're able to give it to other people. So we're not drawing out of our emptiness or our lack, but we're drawing out of God's richness and his fullness. The Holy Spirit in us means that we have a new life. And not just a new life, not just a new beginning, not just born again, not just a new creation, but a new way of living. Most of us will feel, I imagine on Sundays, this is great, but how do I do that? Mm. You know, I love this forgiveness thing. That redemption thing is amazing. Yeah, I'd love to pray for the sick, but how do I do that? And yeah, we might be looking for steps, we might be looking for a model, but really we're like, where does that come from? And I want you to know that that comes from the Holy Spirit. God didn't, Jesus said, I have to go to the Father. It's good that I leave. I mean, can you imagine the disciples hearing that and thinking, how on earth can it be good that you leave? But Jesus said, it is good that I leave because it's only by me going that the Holy Spirit can come to, for you. 
And he described the Holy Spirit as a comforter to meet our needs and as a counsellor to come alongside us, an advocate and a helper, and as an empowerer to help us to meet others' needs. So the Holy Spirit comes to give us a new way of life, a new way of life that's internal. It starts on the inside, it's not external. It's our identity that informs our actions and not our actions that inform our identity. God's ancient promise to us in Ezekiel was that God would remove from us our heart of stone and that he would give us a heart of flesh. He will do that. I don't know how many times you've prayed, God, my heart is so hard. If I could change me, I would change me. If I could stop doing this, I would stop doing this. If I could stop thinking this, I would stop thinking this. If I could stop behaving this like this, I would stop doing it. And he says, let me do it. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. So we don't have to keep trying harder to do the right thing. Who's bored of trying harder to do the right thing? Yeah. Our new way of life, because of God's spirit inside of us, is changing us from the inside out. We set our sights on God. So we, this morning we were singing about worship, and for the praise of his glory, we set our sights on God. We seek first the kingdom. We worship, we pray, we serve, we read. We give and we share. We seek first the kingdom and God replaces our old intentions with new ones. He gives us new desires. And therefore the marks of this new life, this life in the kingdom, are righteousness and peace and joy. These are not things that we can achieve by our own effort. I don't know how many of you have tried. You know when someone says, oh, don't be stressed. You're like, yeah, it's that easy, I would have stopped by now. You know, oh, be at peace. Okay, great. These things are the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that God works out in us when we turn our attention away from ourselves and towards Him. These things are the evidence that God has empowered us to follow His decrees, as He says, that He's written our laws, His laws on our hearts. The Holy Spirit also comes to empower us to act as His servants. Jesus' agenda was to declare the outbreak of the kingdom. Jesus had a very simple message, if you think about it. It was show and tell. My girls have show and tell in, in school. And uh, you bring an object and you tell about it. Yeah? Everyone got that? Show? Yeah? And tell. This is a beaker. Okay? That's pretty much what Jesus' ministry was. I'm going to show you what the kingdom looks like, and I'm going to tell you all about it. And then I'm going to tell you about the kingdom, and I'm going to show you all about it. That's very good. And then I'm going to show you what the kingdom looks like, and then I'm going to tell you all about it. That's pretty much what he did. And we see that. We see that happening. We see the sick healed showing us what the kingdom breaking in looks like. And then he'd say to them, the kingdom of God is here. And they'd be, oh, yeah. Okay, I get that. So this is what he did. And you know what? This is what we're called to do. Yeah. So most of the time, as I said, I feel this utter helplessness when confronted with the world's problems. Um, the families that I see around me at the moment when I'm taking my girls to school, I have um, families who are being evicted from their homes, um, sweet Sri Lankan family with a little uh, six-year-old girl, they don't know where they're going to live. Um, there's a family who've just found out they have three children, their youngest one is 18 months old, they've just found out she has a rare form of leukaemia, 
They found out three months ago. Um, they're in the Marsden every week practically, getting her platelets, uh, giving her um, transplant, and her two older brothers, who are seven and nine, I think, have just been tested to see if they're compatible for a bone marrow transplant. Um, I see families who are a good friend of us at the moment, who's just found out her husband's having an affair. Um, these people, these families, these circumstances are all around us. It's up to us to engage with the people that we see around us, not to assume that their lives are all shiny and fine, because they're not, and that will make us feel terrible. We are the ones who have what the world needs. Yeah. Yeah. We are the ones who are to show and tell the kingdom now. And we can't, we do come, feel like we're empty-handed, but it is the Lord in us. All I can do for these families, pretty much, I mean, they must get sick of me, I'm praying for you. Can I pray for you? I'm praying for you. I believe that God hears our prayers. Can I pray for you? Oh, tell me more about that. When, when is that happening? When is that operation? Can I pray for you? Sometimes that's all we have to give. But that's, you have no idea. I've seen families being rehomed when there was no expectation. One family was moved to Slough. Their children were coming to school every day on, for an hour, over an hour on the train. And miraculously, the council rehoused them just down the road from the school. I, you know, I have no idea if God heard my prayers or the council was just being extremely efficient. But it's <laughs> unlikely. <isn't> it? <laughs> so the Holy Spirit comes to enable us, equip us, encourage us for our lives to make us better people. Who wants to be like a nicer person? Yeah. I want my heart of stone removed. Oh my gosh, especially at bedtime when I'm putting the girls to sleep. <laughs> I want my heart of stone. I want to be a nicer person, but not just for the sake of it. I want to be an empowered nicer person. Yeah. I want to be equipped to be able to share what I have, the hope in me, with those around me. The Holy Spirit also comes to equip us in this way, not just to move us towards people, but to equip us. So we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, not just the fruit of the Spirit, that we would become like him in our hearts, but the gifts of the Spirit, that we would become like him in our actions. So we are a people unclear of our identity. We get tossed and turned about with all sorts of things. Everything from, you know, I don't, I don't want to raise the hands on this, but I wonder how many of you saw something on someone's social media this week that made you feel crap. You know, you're going through your day, you might see something that might be super encouraging, and then you see something else, and you just think, well, that's all right for them, isn't it? Or, um, you know... Well, I, you know, I wish I looked like that. I don't know. Some of these things are very petty, but I know that they, they rock us. They twist us. Someone takes an amazing selfie. You have no idea that they did that 12 times. <laughs> and the first time they did it, they had no makeup on, and then they went and put their makeup on, and then they came back to the camera and tried to go spontaneous again. You have no idea. But these ridiculous things make us like this. We're not to be governed by our emotions in that way. Our emotions yeah. are precious. God gave us our emotions. They are signposts to tell us what's going on in here. God wants to hear it. It's not about not being emotional. But these things are not our, they don't, they're not our compass. Yeah. God is our compass. Our identity in Christ is our compass. Great. God has a new family for you to be a part of, a new identity to define you. Yeah. It's not a static thing and it will grow with you as you grow. Great. You will wrestle with it and with all that life throws at you. But, and I encourage you to do that. But this identity that God has for you is unbreakable. His story is like a thread that runs through history. 
And I encourage you to grab hold of it. What is your history? You are, if you are a believer, you are part of the, the plans and the purposes of God. Go back and read this first chapter in Ephesians and you will see that it's all about us. It's all about what God has done in us as a people and what God is doing in us as a people. And the whole of Ephesians talks about this mysterious plan he has to take the Jews and to take the Gentiles and to turn them into a new people that is the church. And that it's a mystery. We look back and with hindsight, we kind of go, that was obvious. But at the time, it wasn't obvious. It was a mystery. God was doing a new thing. And it's a new thing that he's doing with you and I. So I want to encourage you to, as Stephen Booth had, engage with this book of Ephesians. It has so much to tell us, not just about us as individuals, but about us as a people. And it has so much to tell us, not just about the purposes that God has for your life, but the purposes of the people of God and the things that God is doing. Right, I don't want to talk anymore. Let's stand. Let's see what God wants to do. We're just going to wait on the Lord a little bit now. I don't mind if the band come back, but we're not going to make any noise. Um... <laughs> I've been awkward for half an hour, so now you can be awkward for half a minute or something. Let's just stand and wait on the Lord. I just explained. When we do this, we know that God is here. We know that his presence is here. It's just I've been talking a lot, and now we're just giving him a chance to say something. So we just wait on him. We just make room for him. Lord, you're welcome your presence. We just ask that you would increase your presence right now. Thank you, Lord, we get to worship you. Thank you, Lord, so much that when we worship you, you show up. When we invite you, you come. We open wide our hearts to you right now. I feel like some of us feel like outsiders. Some of us are outsiders to the plans and the purposes of God. And I want you to know that you don't need to be an outsider any longer. You are not an outsider. There is an invitation here with your name on it. So if you feel like an outsider to the things of God, if you feel like an outsider to the people of God, then come. I want to encourage you to come forward and we'll pray for you. There is an invitation with your name on it. For others of us, we have this niggling feeling that we are always an outsider. So whatever group of people we're in, we feel like we're on the outside. I don't know where that comes from, but I want you to come forward and get some prayer. And because the Lord wants you to know that you are included. No one is disqualified. No one. Well, we're all disqualified, but he has qualified us. So we're all just as bad as each other. One of the best and oldest prayers in the world is, 
Have mercy on me, God, a sinner. We've all fallen short of his standards. We've all fallen short of his glory. But the way to him has been made open to us. So we're all welcome to come. And also, I feel this morning that there are those of us who need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. Maybe for the first time, or maybe just for the 14th time. Would you come? I, I know it's not easy to come down the front, but it's just, an easy, it's just easy to pray for you. So would you come and we will pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I just was reminded of these verses in um, Isaiah 55. We're going to worship in a minute. Isaiah 55 says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen, and I will tell you where to get food that is good for the soul. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, for the life of your soul is at stake. I am ready to make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the mercies and unfailing love that I promised to David. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Yeah. Call on him now while he is near. Yeah. My thoughts are completely different from yours. and My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. Come. Come. Just as we worship, why don't you come forward? You can receive the Lord right where you are, absolutely. But if you would like us to pray for you, then come forward and we'd love to do that.